Isn't it good to be in the house of the Lord? Amen. My grandpa used to always say, uh, I was glad when they said unto me. My grandpa was a fighter. And every time he got in the pulpit, I guarantee there was going to be at least 10 of those, you know. Because he loved his Jesus. He loved his Lord. He loved his church. He loved the Word of God. And so this morning, I, I pray that that's just what the Lord does in our heart. That just, just puts that mm, in there one more time. And, and, and my, my grandpa, he passed away he, when he was 91 years old. He was building a house. And uh, he still had that fire in him. And I hope one of these days when I get uh, as mature and as wise as he, I will still have that hunger, that fire in me. Because when do we ever not need it? Lord, I pray right now. Your word is what matters to us. In a world, Father, where everything changes and shifts, God is relative. I thank you, Lord, that there's one thing that is true. That there's one thing that is objectively true. That when I read it, I know I can trust in it. That when I read it, God, I know the answers are right. I don't have to guess. I thank you, Lord, that your word, God, is just as powerful as it was, God, years before as it is now. Father, a thousand years ago, God, when they were writing it, you would put it in men's hearts, God. I pray that even today we would still feel the power of it. But it's not just written words, Father, that you are the word, that you are the word. I pray you open our heart and our life, God, to receive what we have from you today. We ask it in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen. amen. Good morning. I want to say uh, glad to see you back. I hope you guys had a great Easter. Uh, how many ate too much, had good food? You know what? I think I'm going to have to preach about the about the art of confession with you guys. I don't feel like you guys confess too well. I have to work on some of that Catholicness inside of you guys. Y'all need to come to the confession table a bit more. Uh, I had way too much. Uh, it was good food. And, but thank God, you know, we had a good afternoon where we could just sleep. Are there any saints that, that rest in God on Sunday afternoons? Oh, there you are. There you are. Hey, can I say that, man, last week was great. We could not have done it without the incredible volunteers that we had. Will you just with me this morning? Thank you so much. Uh, I'm just telling you, it doesn't happen without you and your part. And so um, I, I want to just say thank you for me personally. Uh, I love some volunteers. I love some volunteers. Uh, I was one for many years, <laughs> one for many years, and I, I still. Well, I, I'll still volunteer even if I'm not supposed to be there sometimes. Matter of fact, I was at my brother-in-law's church, and if they need something, I just, I'll just jump in because I just want to serve. It's in my heart to serve. Uh, are you ready to get back to Nehemiah? Man, I, I, I love this book. I love this book. I've been talking to some of you, and, and uh, I think it's neat because I don't even know some of you. I don't even know you, and I've been talking to you, and, and you're like, uh, Pastor Scott, man, this, is, this word is right here for me. You got to be preaching to me. And I think, I wish I could preach to you. I don't even know you yet. My name is Pastor Scott. It's nice to meet you. And uh, I'm glad the, the Lord of all creation knows you. And I'm glad he knows what you need. And so it's been neat just to 
hear those stories, but at the same time, too, uh, man, I, I love because the Holy Spirit just knows. He knows what we need. He's been speaking into my life. I love the Word. I'm the kind of guy that will fight you tooth and nail over what the Word says. I could care less about anything else in history, but if the Word says it, that's what I'm for. I'm kind of black and white in that degree. Uh, just because uh, this world is not my home, uh, and uh, I, don't, I don't fit in here too well. The world doesn't like me too much, and so I can't trust what it has to say. I got to trust what the Word has to say. Uh, so that's where we're at. So we're in Nehemiah chapter 6 today. Nehemiah chapter 6. We've been talking about building things in our life that speak of God's glory. What is the wall in your life that declares to the world that God's glory, God's faithfulness, God's favor is on you? We've seen the favor of a king that said, go and build the walls and I'll give you everything that you need. Thankfully, we have a king that's like that. We've seen the attack of the enemy, how he comes to manipulate, how he comes to intimidate, um, and also how we see the internal strife and sin that happens into our own camp, how we're supposed to treat the poor, how we're supposed to love on them and take care of their needs. And today, we're going to see the enemy make one last attempt to stop the work of God. So Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 1 says this, Now when Sanballat, and Tobiah, and Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall, and that there was no breach left in it, although up to that time I had not set up the doors and the gates. So Nehemiah is saying it's pretty much done, but the doors are on there, so the, the enemy still has access to come and go. But notice what he's saying here, right? He's saying he's, he realizes what's happening, that the, it's almost done. Can I tell you that the attack of the enemy increases when the finish line gets closer. That's just how it works. He knows it's a now or never thing. If there's one thing that I always know Arkansas is going to be a good team is when that fourth quarter is when our, our jam comes on. We walk out there, we ready to go. Whether it be basketball or football, I know that Arkansas is going to have a great year when they know that the end is near and then they start to play. The problem is the first two quarters, I'm kind of angry. You know, I'm like, come Come on. I mean, you got the best facility in the world as far as I'm concerned. Why are we waiting to the fourth quarter? But I do love them, and I am patient with them. Although they always promise me to take me to the dance. We never get there. It's all good. It's all good. And uh, I don't mean basketball dance. We did go this time. Uh, but the fourth quarter is when it comes up. When it comes near to the finish line, that's when the enemy is at his strongest. And so what I just want to reiterate in your life and in your, in your times of life is that oftentimes the opposition is at its fiercest when the finish line is at its closest. Hear me, hold on. Just hold on. You have to know that the enemy knows it's now or never. So he's tried manipulation by mocking and hurling insults. He's tried intimidation by showing a display of power because he has no authority. That's what he does. He shows power. And today we're going to see a few more attempts by the enemy when he knows his time is short. Can I tell you, the enemy knows his time is short. Not just in the book of Nehemiah, not just in your life, but in this play of God that we are a part of, that God will come back one day and show us his glory. The enemy knows his time is short. And so today as we study and as today as we dig into the Word of God, I want you to see are the things now 
in, in Nehemiah's life, are they also in our life as well? Because I know the wisest man that ever lived said, nothing new is under the sun. And you and I know the devil doesn't have to change his tricks because we don't catch on. And so he just keeps reintroducing those things. Um, so let's pray. Father in heaven, I ask you, Lord, we know you're doing a great work in us. We know you're building these walls that speak of your faithfulness. Even more important, God, we know you're building us as a faithful people. I pray, God, that your word Lord, would speak in areas today, God, that only you know. That only you know, God, we've been struggling and what we've been needing to hear. Maybe some of us, God, have come, Father, and we've come in a desperate uh, last-ditch uh, plea. God, we need to know what your word says concerning this. And I pray, Holy Spirit, you know the heart of the Father. Speak to your children today. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Nehemiah 6 verse 2 says this, Sambalat and Geshem sent to me saying, come and lead us, let us meet together at uh, Hecapurim. That is a great word to say. Hecapurim in the plain of Ono. Now, I tell you what, it's funny because there's all kinds of bad things in the plain of Ono. And so uh, this is how you know the Lord has a sense of humor, you know, when he names a place that you shouldn't go called Ono. Uh, <laughs> But they intended to do me harm. No, notice this first. Nehemiah is building, busy building the wall. And he gets the message, come. Come. I think you and I, we got to be sensitive to the comes in our life. Not every come is of the Holy Spirit. Not every come is of the Father. Not every come is of the Son. There are some comes that you need to understand that is not the thing I should be responding to. There are some invitations that are not meant for reconciliation that, that Sambala is trying to speak. And so we have to be sensitive to it. There's not a believer in here that I know for sure that we've not all had that invitation to come. I know that because James chapter 1, 14 through 15 tells us this. But each person is tempted who is that? Each. Is there anybody that doesn't apply to each? Each of us in here is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire when it conceives gives birth to sin and sin when it's fully grown brings forth death. I want you to know sometimes it's so easy we're reading the word of God that we can just skip on past things. But let, hear me. Everybody has a come. And you would do wise to understand what yours tends to seek after. That's why we have to know our desires. Don't be so naive thinking that just because you don't know what your desires are, that Satan doesn't know what your desires are because Satan most definitely knows what your desire is. And he knows how to speak your language. Nehemiah could have been an insecure man here. Do you think about that? So here he is trying to build the, the kingdom. And he's had all of these, these invitations, these reconciliations, these attempts. And now here all of his enemies are saying, you know what? Maybe we did this wrong. Maybe, maybe we stepped out a, a bit prematurely and we didn't know that you were not hostile. And you know what? Me and a few of the leaders in the land, we want you to come. Nehemiah could have thought, you know what? It's about time you saw what kind of man I am. It's about time. I've been just trying to do my best for the people. And now I finally have a place where I can, I can lead and I can 
represent people the way that they need to be. I'm glad that they made a seat at their table for me. Can I tell you that just like every come is not of the Holy Spirit, not every seat at the table is your seat. You need to be mindful of the seats at the enemy's table. I feel like somebody preached a really good message about that one time in here. (laughs) And Pastor Caleb did a great job at it. We need to know where our desires are, where our insecures are. This is a meeting with leaders. He finally got a seat at this table. This might be a way I can talk some reason with the enemy to see and know my heart, to know my work. Back home, I used to be somebody. I was a cupbearer, and now I've just been the punching bag. But now, finally, I can spend some time with them and know who I am. Someone say, oh, no. You, you, you got to know when to meet with the enemy and when not to meet with the enemy. You have to know what the heart of the enemy is. Sometimes the enemy does want reconciliation, but most of the time he don't. Most of the time, what he wants is what you have. Remember, people are not against you. They're just for themselves. And so that's the plane that he was going to in the plane of, oh, no. It was about 30 miles north of Jerusalem. I'm sorry, of, uh, yeah, Jerusalem, the walls. That's about, what, here at uh, Yaleville, right? About 30, 30 minutes. That's not too far. Think about how far that was. He was literally in the place doing what God wanted him to do in the will of God and not so far, not so far away from the will of God. Now, y'all know when I preach, I'm talking about one thing, but I'm really speaking about another. Y'all know how that works, right? This is how church works. Amen? So not so far from the will of God, it wasn't something crazy, right? That's how the enemy works. He doesn't want you to do something you know is not well. He just wants you to take you 30 minutes down the road a little bit. We're still close to home. I can still, you know, I can still, I'm, I'm just in the enemy's care, but I'm still close to the comfort of God's will. That's where we Christians fail. That's where we struggle at. I will tell you this, is that only the enemy is worried about keeping you close to your comfort zone because Jesus is not. <laughs> Jesus will ask you to leave your whole life, your whole family, move you to the middle of a desert and say, Abraham, this is where I want you to be. The Lord calls you to a place of uncomfort, but the enemy gives you a sense of comfort. That is not how we operate. Someone say, oh no, I'm not going to go to a place of comfort. So let me ask you today, what is in your plane of Ono? What, what, what is it that's, that's calling you to come? What is the desire in your heart that you know you should not, but it's just irresistible? Is it that conversation outside of your marriage? That you know you can have and go right back to it and feel guiltless about it. I said conversation, nothing else. Is it that job that provides you the money, right? But you know it's pulling you away from the home that you're building with your family and your kids. What's in your own? No. Is it that friend who's constantly saying, man, it's all good. Listen, Friday night, Saturday night, that's me and you. Sunday, that's you and God. We've been there before. God forgives. God knows what's in your heart, man. Just, just trust me. What, what, what's in your, what is in your plane of oh no? Is it a, a bottle, a pill, conversation, a website, an opportunity, a friend, a job, a hobby? 
What's in your plane of oh no? Because we have to know those things that call us from the will of God. Can I tell you this? The plane of oh no was not a sin. It wasn't a sin. It wasn't Nehemiah saying, if I go there, it's going to be a sin. No, but it would lead to, it would lead to a place. It would put you in a place, what we say is below reproach. We have not been saved to be equal in reproach. God put us above reproach by the crucifixion of his son. We don't live in a way the world says, that's okay, I accept who you are. No, we are to be above reproach because the enemy doesn't care if you can sin or not. He's not trying to ruin your character and your witness because he saw you or didn't see you sin. He wants to know if he can accuse you of sin because if he can accuse you, then your witness don't mean nothing to him and you really ain't as holy as the Lord made you to be. And so when we live our life, the Lord's not asking us for us to to do something or live a life that's okay in the world's eyes, we ought to be so radical that people say, then people just wait. They take it way too far. No, we're above reproach. That's just how we live our life. We don't go to the plane of Ono. We don't walk around. If we don't distinguish what the plane of Ono is, it feels so close to home, we might just think that it is home. I hope someone hears me today. So, Pastor Scott, why is it so important to know what my plane of Ono is? Notice what he says. Come and let us meet together at, Heca- at the, that place. I feel like I'm going to say something I shouldn't say. In the plane of Ono. But they intended to do me harm. Another version says this. But they were scheming to harm me. They wanted to practice evil on me. Why would you go to a place where they want to practice evil on you? But that's what Satan wants to do. So, So let me give you three ways today to undo the schemes of the enemy, okay? First off, it's this. We got to practice discernment. Can I tell you one of the weakest things in the body of Christ today is we don't have discernment. We do not have, my wife, y'all bless, my little baby, she's sick today, and so my wife is having to play mama, but my mom, but she would, she would correct me and say, Scott, it's not don't, it's do not, all right? So we do not have discernment. We need, better, um, we need better strength in that, more competency in that. We need to practice discernment. We need to practice discretion. We need to practice discipline. Those are the three things that you and I need to work on. Regardless of where you're at, you can do better at discernment. You can, be- you can do better at discretion. You can do better at discipline, all right? Say it with me. We need to practice this. <laughs> Some of y'all caught that on. Some of y'all figured out tomorrow when y'all wake up. We need to practice this. Let's look at the first one, practice discernment. Notice Nehemiah's response, verse 3. And I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? Notice Nehemiah's response wasn't in discerning whether or not they wanted to harm him. That didn't even matter. It didn't even matter to him. Nehemiah's response was in discerning what his priorities were because if the enemy can change your priorities then he can start to say well did God really say he can start mixing that truth that's what's so good about the word of God because the word of God spills our our priorities out I don't have to think to make decisions because it was already made for me I already know my priorities my priorities is this work 
No. <laughs> my, my wife? No. No, my first priority is God, my wife, my family, and then church or work or whatever else you want to have. But these three things don't change. It's God first. It's my wife second. Notice it's not my kids second. It's not my kid. I, lo I love my babies, but y'all ain't coming before mama. Oh, no, you ain't. Oh, no, you ain't. You better stay in that plane. My wife comes second. My family comes third. Anything else that God has given for me to do in purpose in life comes thereafter. I know my priorities. This is what Nehemiah is saying through the sermon. I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. You have to know what your great work in life is. What is your great work? Because this is the work that you were sent to do. A while back, uh, I was with some students and we were out in Florida and it was, uh, it was, it was the hurricane that came in uh, that shut down Disney World. It was a big thing because Disney World never shuts down and, and so it was this massive hurricane that just came in the week before. We showed up, we're on the, uh, on the beach out there and we're going in and, and one of my students who was a bad influence said, Pastor Scott, we should jump in the ocean right now before we get down to the beach and there's everyone there. And so I'm looking at it and like, there's nobody out at the beach. It's beautiful. I'm like, let's do it. See, that's what happens when you don't lead, right? You know? And so that's uh, so what happens when you listen to children. So we, we got out. I'm out there. In, in, uh, uh, at that time, I was swimming crazy amount of uh, uh, laps. And so uh, I was really good in my swimming confidence. And so I jumped out there, and I, I, I jumped out past two breaker waves. And, and I'm seeing the students up there, and they're playing and whatnot. And, I, and I'm just floating because I'm a little ways out. And so I'm just out there just chilling out. And, and I'm thinking, okay, I'm good. I'm going to take a breath. I'm going to float. I'm, I'm going to swim back in. And so I put my head down, I started swimming back in, and I couldn't get back to the shore. Uh, matter of fact, uh, I got probably about two, 200, maybe 300 yards away from the shore. And uh, I didn't know what a riptide was at that time. Now I know everything about it. But at that time, I was in a rip, and it was pulling me, and I could not, and I was swimming as hard as I could, and I finally just gassed out my legs, my arms, everything, I'm way out there. The hotels are about that big on the shore. And uh, I'm thinking, this is it. This is it for me. I'm struggling. I can, the waves pick me up, and then my body weight drops me down. And I'm just, just sucking as much as I can. And I remember in that moment telling the Lord, Lord, if I give you, I gave you everything already. I don't know what else to do. I, I don't know what else to give you. I can't make you no promises because... All I got, you have. And so all I could remember in that moment was, Lord, if I die, nobody else can raise my babies. Nobody else can father my children. And so thankfully, that story was a lot more to it, but the Lord got me out. And I remember that when I got out of that ocean, it was still yet incredible how he did it. But when I got out of that ocean, I remember sitting at the table with my students looking around realizing I shouldn't have been there. I should not be here right now. I should be gone. And I remember thinking that the only reason why I'm here is because I understand I had a great work to do, that my girls are my great work. Anybody else can take this position and, and preach to you guys. There's thousands of people more qualified than I am, but nobody is as qualified or can be who I will be to my girls. Can I tell you, if you are a parent, there is a wall so big for you that you definitely need the Lord, your God, to help you. 
And when that wall is done, it will speak of who God is and how faithful he is. You have a great work. Don't come down from it. Amen? So what is it in your life? The world doesn't want you to have a great wall. They don't want you to build this great wall. They don't want you to have a successful marriage. Kids that love God and honor you. They don't want you to be building the kingdom of God and discipling and serving and giving. The world doesn't want to see you with a mediocre job. They don't want to see you doing those things because you can spend time doing the right things. The, the, the world wants to give you all the success and all the gratification and everything you can because if they can do that, if they can meet you in the plane of Ono with all the other successful leaders, then they can keep you from this wall. What is your plane of Ono? Matter of fact, as I was um, studying this message and I was writing this and the Lord was putting this on my heart, I got a text message right in the middle of it. And uh, I wanted to look at it and said, Pastor, da, 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 da. and I was like, oh, I can deal with that real fast. And right in the, the Lord said, hey, Scott, <laughs> not every good thing is a great thing. Know the difference between the two. And so I'm, I'm like, you're right, Lord. You're right. You're right. Uh, uh, do these people need attention from me? Yes. Uh, do they, they, do they, is it a good thing for me to do? Yes. But preparing for the word was the great work at the time. Can I tell you that you got to know that preaching this word is a great work that I can't abandon. There's some things you can't come down from that you have to stick to and hold on to. And that's, that's why when you see a great work, do everything you can to put those blinders on and come right at it. Amen? No. Listen, do you... <laughs> I'm preaching. No, no, guys. No, guys, I'm preaching. Listen, y'all got to go. No. Oh, Dominic. It's just, we need to move everybody to a safe place. A safe place? Why? Why? Am I the... Oh, no. What, I don't, what do y'all want me to do? Guys, look, look, look at these people. We're, we're, it's a service. We're having church right now. What are y'all doing with the plunger? And the st- no, listen, listen. Guys, I'm tornado. No, listen. I'm doing a great work. You understand? I, I can't come down to plunge toilets. You know what I mean? Like, a whole baby's. And go find someone on the safety team. They can do that, right? I, 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 and I... And I'm sorry, but your mom's going to have to talk to you later on. I can't help you right now, okay? All right, y'all go away, go away. I got, I, got a, I, got a, I got a great work. I can't come down. All right, y'all. We'll talk later. Man. People don't understand. This is in the house of God. What are y'all doing? We laugh, but it's true. We laugh, but it's true. It matters. It matters. It usually matters most because it's the person that's asking. I cannot tell you, do not abandon that great work. Say it with me. I am doing a great work. And I cannot come down. So you need discernment to know what a great work is. What is discernment? Discernment is the ability to judge matters according to God's view of them. Discernment is the ability to judge matters according to God's 
God's view of them. And not according to the outward appearance, which is what we normally do, right? Look at this. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. Thankfully, the, the Lord knows how to have discernment. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. For man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Discernment is differentiating between two things by judging the truth of its contents. When's the last time you practiced discernment in your home, in your life, at your job, in your church, in the word? While you're watching in YouTube, someone preaching to you, listening to a podcast, are you practicing discernment? There are many voices. John said some came from us, some came from us but not, our, not all are of us. And so we have to pay attention to those things, right? That discernment is important. 2 Timothy chapter 4, 3 through 4 says, this is how important it is. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. When we don't practice discernment, it's because we want what we want. Right? I, I, Pastor Scott, I really don't want you preaching at me today. I came for a good message I want to feel good. Do you know what my week has been like? Then you know what? Then I'm sorry. I'm not the pastor for you. I'm typically that kind of pastor that's going to hit you with the truth. I don't mind discipline and love, right? If I don't discipline you, and this is not discipline, obviously, but if I don't preach the hard stuff to you, then I don't love you. I don't love you. That's what it comes down to. A man who preaches glory and all vanity only cares about himself. I want you to know that when you walk out of here, that there are reasons why you and I don't practice discernment. And it's because we have this flesh nature. So what do I tell you? I don't tell you that to condemn you or convict you, but that you might be aware, that you might be sensitive, that your flesh is not fully dead some days, right? Get cut off by somebody in, the in the traffic and see if your flesh is still dead. Not always. And so we find that, that, that this is why it's so important for us to know what is in our plane of ono, oh because you've got to be ready. Proverbs 27, 6 says this, Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. You also have to practice discernment because you need, know, you need to know what a kiss means. Not every kiss means a kiss. Boy, this would be a good youth message right here. <laughs> Pastor Caleb, where are you at? I hope you're writing down notes. Not every kiss means what you think it is. Discernment will allow a real friend to wound you with their words. That's not, that's not normal here in America because we're all offended by something. Something. Some, I mean, you know, and, and, and we're all okay with being offended unless it's preaching about sin or the gospel. Then we don't want to have none of that at all. We, we don't. Let's, let's get past that. So you need to know that what matters to me is that you understand what discernment is. How do we practice discernment? Here's how you do it. First of all, you got to know God's word. You have to know God's word. Everything else is telling you what their truth and what their perspective is. You have to know God's word. The second thing is you got to grow in spiritual maturity. Look at what Hebrews says to us, 5, 12 through 14. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have the powers of discernment trained by constant 
practice, so you don't get a badge and check off on that. Constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Discernment distinguishes good from evil, but it's because you practice constantly. It's not something you learn. Y'all know how it is when you try to ride a bike 15 years afterwards. You was, you was doing that stuff, you know what I mean? But you figured out, you got back on it, and you, was, you were going again just right. It, it takes a little while for you to, to re-engage. If you don't constantly practice, you forget how to discern. Mom and dads, you need to know how to discern when, you're, when your babies come home. Where you been? What you been doing? What's that I smell? Oh, essential oils. Well, I knew it was lavender. I could smell that on you when you, when you walked through the door. <laughs> And you've been to the restaurant, which I told you not to go because I can smell it sonic grease all over you. So, you know, because <laughs> you can't get away from sonic, even if you're just drinking ice, you know. <laughs> also, that discernment is a gift of the Holy Spirit, according to 1 Corinthians 12, 10. Ask for discernment. We need that. Amen. After we've practiced discernment, we must also practice discretion. And discernment, I'm sorry, yeah, discernment differs from discretion. Because discernment deals with the truth of a matter, while discretion deals with what to do with that matter. After you've practiced discernment, you've got to practice discretion. Let's see here. Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 5 through 8 says this. In the same way, send out for the fifth time, sent his servant to me with an open letter. Notice that. He said, a, he said an open letter. Why an open letter? Hmm. And it was written, it was reported among, basically, they have been talking, <laughs> And Geshem also says that you and the Jews intend to rebel. This is why you are building the wall. And according to these reports, you wish to become their king. You have, uh, and you have also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem that there is a king in Judah. And now the king will hear of these reports. So now come and let us take counsel together. Then I sent to him saying, you out your mind. <laughs> That's not what I said at all. No such thing as you say have been done, for you are inventing them out of your own mind, and some versions say your own heart. You're projecting. What you, what you want me to be guilty of is really what you want. And so Nehemiah has already discerned some ballot schemes uh, were only to get him to stop the work, but now he's got to practice discretion uh, because this is hard. Look at the real intent of Sam ballot right here. He says, if I, can get you to the, if I can't get you to the place of oh no, the place that causes you to stop uh, work so you'll chase your desires, then I'll get you to stop the work to defend your character. The enemy so many times will catch us in a trap because now we feel like we have to say something and do something to defend God or to defend God's character. We see this all the time when someone posts on Facebook, oh no, you ain't talking about my Jesus that way. I'm about to tell you how it is. We see it all the time. We see it, all, and all, in fact, it's, it's difficult, especially if you're kind of a uh, black and white guy like me. I, 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 just, I just can't allow certain things to slide by. And so as I was reading this, the Lord was saying, you know what, Scott? You don't got to, sometimes you just need to let me deal with my character. And matter of fact, just so you know, Scott, that that character that's in you, that speaks of me, that's also my character. You don't have to defend your character every time. You don't have to defend your name every time. The only thing that's holy and righteous about you is mine anyway. So if, even if they are attacking you, they're really attacking me. That's why you need to forgive and let that go to me. 
But that's not how we typically are. Don't talk about my, I remember one time uh, we had a teacher that was talking to my, uh, my Aubrey about some issues. And boy, I'm telling you, like, uh, I thought Julie was always nice uh, until you started talking about her kid's character. And that was over with. I had to, I had to ref, you know, I just had to referee that situation and say, baby, the Lord got it. The Lord got it. The Lord got it. And so we, we have to pay attention because the enemy will try to deceive us. Here's what he's trying to do. He says, it's an open letter. So when everyone's going to read about it, what's being said about you, that's that gossip, that rumor mill that's happening. And he says, we're going to expose your motive. What you meant for good, we're going to reclaim and present to you as evil. Can I tell you that the enemy is always trying to misinterpret Scripture, but also misinterpret and misrepresent the saints. It's not always our job to ask for deliverance from every situation. What are you talking about, Pastor Scott? It's not always our time. Can I tell you that duty is more important than deliverance? Because the job to build the wall was more important than stopping and getting down saying, now you know that's not really what was happening around here. Let me explain why. And the whole time you forgot the work. The enemy will constantly do that in our lives. He will attack your character. He will go after your witness. Also, you'll stop the work because he knows how to get to us by offending our flesh. Maybe I'm just talking to Pastor Scott this morning, but I'm telling you, I had to remind myself, the duty is more important than deliverance. God doesn't always promise to deliver you. He told Peter, he says, I pray for you that your faith may not fail. He didn't talk about his flesh. He knew Peter was going to fail. He wasn't worried about his flesh. He was worried about his faith. So don't think for a moment, especially knowing Nehemiah, that Nehemiah didn't want to go down off that ladder and say, I'm going to bust heads. You can't be talking about me that way. I got to deal with some stuff. I, 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 I walk. I pray. I'm a holy man. But I cannot tell you that even in these moments and times, look at Nehemiah's response. This is what we should be doing. He says, but now, oh God, strengthen my hands. And this is how we should be. When they attack the church, when they attack your family, when they attack your words and attack your motive and attack your scripture and attack your Jesus, here's what you say. Oh God, strengthen my hands. Everything that condemns them, because I'm trying to practice holiness and righteousness and build the kingdom of God and let his wall be known. Lord, let, me, let my hands be strengthened in this moment right now because I want you to be known. So when they attack you personally, here's what you need to do. Go back to the work. Go back to the family. Go back to the husband. Go back to the wife. Go back to the church. Go back to the wall. Go back to the glory of God in your life. Notice in verse 7, he's, he does this. There's a pattern here. And it says, and you have also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. And now the king will hear of these reports. So now come and let us take counsel together. If you notice in this sequence of events, notice what Sam Balance is doing. He's trying to create fake news. Y'all ever, y'all ever watched fake news before? It's reported amongst the nations. And Geshem also says it that you and the Jews intend to rebel. This is why you're building a wall. Fake news. But notice this, fake news beget fake problems. And now the king will hear these reports. Oh, now we got a fake problem. I wonder what the solution is going to be, a fake solution. So now come and let us take counsel together. I don't know if you've ever seen it or not, but I have seen where fake news creates fake problems. And then before you know it, they got fake solutions. It's nothing new. 
It's nothing new. They've been practicing this for a long time. Study socialism and you'll figure it out. It's nothing new. Because the enemy knows where we're weak. The, the enemy knows where we're not paying attention. These tricks are not new. It's just that we're naive. And so here we see in Nehemiah the same issue, that fake problems and, and fake news are trying to get us to fake solutions. Why is that important? Because he wants you to trust the voice. And here's the thing. Can I just, boy, I don't get much. I know I'll, I'll keep you guys too long as it is anyway that I could go for another 45 minutes. But let me just speak to this right now. You need to be careful about what you allow into your brain, your ear, and your eye. That social media may tell some truth, but I would say until you have discernment, read a book, all right? Read a book. Let me also say that mainstream news has some truth, but most of the time, read a book. <laughs> And I can tell you that the water cooler at your work where the gossip flies around may have some truth sometimes, but do your work. You know what I mean? Like stay, because you have to pay attention. Why? Because if Nehemiah read Sam Ballot Times every day, eventually, what do you think he would start believing? Yeah. yeah, that they would be true. Can I tell you that whenever you listen to a voice and you give it the claim of authenticity, eventually it claims the area of authority in your life. You really have to pay attention to what you're listening to, even when you know it is a lie. That's why Jesus, when, when Satan come along to tempt him, he, what did he do? He says, the, the word, it is written, I rebuke you with the word. I don't want to hear what you have to say. I'm meditating upon what the word has to say. Even Jesus knew how to fight those things that would in, uh, influence him. So, so pay attention to what you're authenticating in your life because it may bring more authority than you realize. Last thing and I'm done. Practice discipline. Practice discipline. Nehemiah 6, 10 through 13 says this. Now when I went into the house of Shimei, the son of Deliah, son of Mehetabel, who was confined to his home, he said, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple for they are coming to kill you. They are coming to kill you by night. But I said... Should such a man as I run away? What man such as I could go into the temple and live? I will not go in. And I understood and saw that God had not sent him. Mm, discernment. But he had pronounced the prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sembalat had hired him. Gave him money. This purpose, for this purpose he was hired. Notice this. For this purpose he was hired that I should be afraid and act in this way and sin so that they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me don't feel like every exposing of your life um, is by the enemy just because you've been living in a, a bad place the enemy will come to create a lifestyle that's below reproach just because you're enemy number one. That sometimes doing good things, even in the right heart, can still catch you in a place of compromise. Notice this, that it was the man of God that said, come and let's compromise your convictions just a little bit. See, Nehemiah knew that he was not allowed to be in the temple because only priests were allowed to be in the temple. 
But he said, surely, surely, we can think this way, surely it was okay for me to compromise my convictions a hair so God can protect me. Can I tell you, can I tell you, can I tell you, the Lord will never ask you to diminish or water down this word one bit. Never, never. If the Lord has to compromise his word to save you, he ain't the Lord. He ain't the Lord. He's not sovereign. He's not all-powerful. And so what I want you to know is this, is that any time you allow the enemy to compromise your religion, your faith, your conviction, or whatever feels good to you right there, your belief, you compromise your character. When we compromise our religion, we compromise our character. Don't water it down. Should such a man as I run away, just because the guys at work do, or the girls at gym do, <laughs> or every single teenager in the world at some point will do, does not mean that we will do. We do not compromise for any reason. As uh, Cody and the team will come back, let me just say today that it's okay. It's okay to be less in the world's eyes, guys. That our life and our convictions, the way we believe, the way we walk, it's okay. As we're building this wall, don't, don't listen to the come. Don't let them draw you away. You need to have discernment to know what truth is. Don't let them slander you and pull you away. Don't let them compromise your lifestyle and pull you away. You are doing a great work. Your spouse knows you're doing a great work. Your kids know you're doing a great work. Your purity is a great work. Your faithfulness to the church is a great work. And giving while you're struggling to pay bills is a great work. So many aspects of your life that you're doing a great work. Ask the Lord, what is it, Lord, that I cannot abandon in my life? Can I say today that, that there was somebody else who was doing a great work that was also tempted in three different ways? Nehemiah was presented a few different ways that he was asked to stop working on the wall, but Jesus himself understood what, it, what it's like to be tempted in these areas. When they said to Nehemiah, come down to the plain of Ono, this was the same thing. I, I, it struck me. I didn't realize how, how close this was to Christ's life. They also told Jesus to come down from the cross. But don't you know that Jesus wouldn't come down from the cross? You know why? Because he was doing a great work. You were that great work. If you would think about it for a second, Jesus, there's nobody else that wanted to come down and say, you will not call me the things that I am not. You cannot mock me. I am the ruler and creator of all things. How does creation speak to its creator this way? I would come down and destroy you and make a brand new world in a matter of a moment, in a speech, and the issuing of my heart. But that love for us told us how great of a work it was for him. So next time you get discouraged, I want you to remember that Jesus, too, had the opportunity. Remember, he said, nevertheless, there was his moment to get down and not go through with the cross. But he saw in us a great work, and he stuck to it. Stick to the great work. They too slandered Nehemiah. 
And he didn't defend himself. He let the Lord do that. Can I tell you that Jesus was also slandered. He didn't debate his critics, but he spoke truth and trusted his Father in heaven. He knows what you're going through. A false prophet offered Nehemiah the, the easy way out. It's easy for us to go about how the world wants us to go about. Instead of being obedient. But Jesus also was offered a way out. Three times from the cross. But still yet he understood what his great work was. I, I want to do... Um, I want to do the altar response a little bit differently today. Would, would you do me a favor? In front of you, there is a card. In front of you, there's a card. And we're going to take up um, tithes and offering and, and uh, connection card and all that stuff like that in just a second. But here, here's what I want you to do. We're going to pray. Um, and while we pray, I want you to do this. On that card, I want you to write, and don't put your name on it. I want you to write what is in your plane of Ono. What's in your plane of Ono? As I was studying for this message, I just felt real strongly I wanted to pray for those things in your life. And so this will help me this week as I go through the cards to know how to pray. So do that for me, if you would. We're going to pray in just a second and do that. But um, matter of fact, let's just pray and then we'll write, Lord in heaven, God, I pray that you would, there's different things in our life, Father, that we struggle with. But Lord, right now, right now, Lord, what is in the plane that would call us away from the work that you're having us do? God, I'm not asking you to reveal in my heart and my life and our heart and our life, God, what sin is. Lord, we know what sin is. But God, I ask that you would speak to us, Lord, and show us the things Maybe we've been dealing with it and praying about it and trying to figure out if we should or we shouldn't. I pray, God, that you would give us, God, discernment and conviction right now to write as a way to state not only to us but to you that these are the things or this is the thing that's pulling me away from the work. This is what's in my plane of, oh, no. I pray, God, that you would reveal it to us right now in Jesus' name. Take a few minutes. Fill out your card. We'll get it in just a second.